Great to see everybody this morning. Full house. Uh, looking forward to seeing uh, most of you back this evening. I hope you can make it uh, for our meeting at 5 o'clock. And uh, we're excited about what God is doing. Can't wait to share with you some of those things as well as to hear from you. Uh, this morning, we are beginning what I would call a short mini-series. It's going to last two weeks. So today and next Sunday, we're going to be looking at the book of Philemon. And it's kind of fitting that we do that. Now, I'm just curious, though, uh, how many of you have been in a worship service where you've actually heard the book of Philemon expounded? Have you ever heard anybody preach? A few hands. Um, It's not a book that is often referred to, maybe because it's so short it just gets overlooked as you're turning the pages of Scripture, but it's a a wonderful little book. And uh, as I was thinking about how to kind of set things up, I guess I I would need to say on the front end that uh, next week we'll be getting into the bulk of the text This morning, as is typical whenever we start a new sermon series, uh, we spend a lot of time on the introduction because understanding the background of the book, understanding the circumstances and the setting is extremely important if we're to understand what the author is saying uh, to the people that he is writing. And we need to understand that so that we can understand what God is saying to us today. And as I was preparing for this message, I was kind of racking my brains trying to think how I want to kind of get into it. And I finally decided uh, to share just a, a personal uh, illustration or story from my life as a parent. Uh, we've got lots of parents here. And uh, I'm sure you have had the same sorts of challenges that we have had as parents and raising our kids, but as our kids have gotten older, I have found that my parenting style has changed some, okay? It's changed some because we've gotten to the point in their lives as as kids where it's not enough to just tell them what to do. If, if, If I'm still doing that, at this juncture in their lives, then perhaps I failed as a dad. You know, there have been more times than I care to count, and of late, where I could have laid down the law. You know what I mean by that? Could have laid down the law, I could have told them what to do, I could say that thing that most of us think if we have never said, as long as you live in my house, right? You're going to do what I tell you to do. And, and that's a given in our home. I think there is an understanding that, yeah, this is not my home. This is my parents' home. They graciously allow me to live here, uh, to live and breathe, to sleep in a bed, you know, and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I don't think it needs to be said. But I'm not interested in just getting them to obey because they're living in my house. You see, if if all I'm getting is that outward compliance because of fear of a privilege being taken away or being kicked out on the street or whatever it might be, then where is the heart change in, in all of that? 
You know, I, I'm not interested in them merely doing what I want while they're living at home. I want them to do right because it is right and because it's in their best interest to do so. I want my children to follow Christ and to make wise decisions. I want my kids to own their faith and to stand on their own two feet. And I want them to experience the joy that comes from being obedient to God's word. There is a joy that only comes when we are walking right with God. We can pursue a lot of other things to make us happy, but in the end, the soul does not find its rest until it finds it in God. I want them to experience all of this. And this is really what the book of Philemon is all about. The Apostle Paul writes to Philemon because he wants him to do the right thing. Not because he's told to do the right thing, but because it is the right thing. And because it will bring blessing to him and others if he chooses to do so. And for this reason, I'm really excited about this morning and next week and what God has to teach us through this amazing little book. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for our opportunity to gather here this morning to worship you. And even as we do so, our thoughts go to our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan. It goes out to all the people who are living in fear right now that they might be captured, that they might be tortured, that they might be killed. And Lord, as we enjoy the freedom that we have here this morning to worship you, to hear from your word, we realize that there are many people both there in Afghanistan and other parts of the world that don't have that freedom. But Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have said the one whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And even in the midst of difficulties and trials and tribulations and persecution, Lord, there is a freedom that we can have in you. And Lord, when you came to this world to die for our sins, to make us right with you, Lord, you also came to make us right with one another. Lord, your gospel can do that if we would but surrender to its message. So Lord, this morning, I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be our teacher and our guide, that you would help us understand this little book, that we might be able to apply these truths to our lives for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So... I guess maybe the first question we could ask ourselves this morning is, why Philemon? Why did we choose to do uh, a study to preach a series, even if it's only two weeks, on the book of Philemon? Well, partially it was because we, God led us to do the study in Colossians, 
and Philemon is almost like side B to side A. They are companion books, and it involves the same church. And I think God has a lot to say to us through this particular study. But I think the the most basic answer is because God saw fit to include this personal letter as a part of Holy Scripture. So therefore, God wants us to understand it. He wants us to know the truths that are contained therein and apply them to our lives. But let me give you some other reasons. These are not exhaustive reasons, but let me give you some other reasons why we should study the book of Philemon. First, to gain a deeper understanding of forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, I've been walking with Jesus now for many, many years, and I still have not plumbed the depths of God's grace, of his mercy, of his forgiveness. And not only in receiving it from him, but how to extend it to others. And Philemon is a great book to help us do that. We study Philemon to see how the gospel addresses the issue of slavery. This is an important issue. As we come to this book and we read what Paul has to say, we need to understand something of the culture and how the gospel speaks into that culture. We also study Philemon to acknowledge the providence of God and the power of the gospel to transform individuals and reconcile relationships. We do it to marvel at the gospel, at how the gospel unites all people into one body as equal recipients of God's grace. And we study it to encourage us to do the right thing, regardless of the wrong or the wrongs that have been done to us, and regardless of the consequence of doing what is right. And then the last thing, which we're going we're to see this fleshed out a lot next week, but to learn the art of godly persuasion. This, this is an amazing book, and in it you will see how Paul deals with a conflict, with an issue, and how he brings two individuals who are are at odds with each other back together, reconciling them to one another. So by way of introduction, let me just kind of fly through some things with us. First of all, as we think about this particular book, we need to remember that it was written at about the same time the book of Colossians was written, which would have been around AD 62. And There are a lot of similarities. If you look at Colossians, some of the same characters are mentioned here in Philemon. Um, The people or the players, uh, that's important. There are several people mentioned, but the three primary cast members here, first of all, is Paul. Paul is the author of this book, along with the companion letter to the Colossians. But this book, unlike any other book, book that he wrote, any other letter or epistle that Paul wrote, this letter gives us insight into the man like no other. You know, a lot of times, you know, people ask, well, who's your favorite Bible character? 
Paul usually doesn't make like the top 10 list for lots of reasons. He seems a little harsh, a little kind of rigid, a little stiff, and, and other people like, you know, John and David and, and others uh, are more likable. Well, that's because I think they haven't read the book of Philemon. In this particular letter, we see how gracious and how tender Paul's heart really is. We see that when he talks about love and loving other believers, he really means it. We see a lot of passion in him in this book. We see his love and his concern for Philemon, for Onesimus, and for the entire church in Colossae. And in this book, we see the genius of Paul. We see how God uses his background and his education to communicate in such a way that brings honor and glory at times. Sometimes he's very gentle. Sometimes he's more forceful. But he is very persuasive. He wants Philemon to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. And he employs numerous and various appeals. He makes numerous appeals of different kinds, different types, to, to help Philemon understand that this is, in fact, the right thing to do. This, in my opinion, is the Apostle Paul at his finest. But the other character we have here in this book is Philemon. And Philemon was a wealthy Christian and a prominent member of the Colossian church. And apparently he heard the gospel and was saved sometime during uh, Paul's three years in Ephesus. And upon his return to Colossae, he opened up his home to the church there, and the church began meeting at his home. Philemon, like many other wealthy individuals, owned slaves. We don't know how many, but we know that the third character in our story was one of them, and that is Onesimus. Onesimus um, was uh, a slave that was a part of Philemon's household. But before I talk about him a little bit more, I want you to think about something, something that just dawned on me really this past week as I was thinking about the, the passage. Um, Onesimus apparently wasn't happy in Philemon's household because as it turns out, it, it looks as if he stole something, maybe some money, maybe some property, and he ran away. And he fled to Rome, which if you were going to be a runaway, runaway slave, that's probably a good place to go because Rome was a large cosmopolitan city. It was a place that you could get lost in the crowd. And you can understand why, why Onesimus would want to do that, because in Paul's day and in his day, if you were caught stealing from your master, you could be put to death. So Onesimus didn't want to be caught. So he ran as far away as he could to get away from Philemon in the hopes that he could live a normal life. Now, 
I think this is really incredible. And this is the thing that I, I really focused on this week. Philemon came to faith in Christ in Rome. So you have to catch this. Philemon was a part of, excuse me, Onesimus was a part of Philemon's household. The church in Colossae met in Philemon's home. So no doubt Onesimus had heard the gospel probably numerous times. But he wasn't converted. He ran away. And in God's providence, he runs smack dab into the Apostle Paul in the city of Rome. What a coincidence. I think not. I think this is, in fact, the providence of God. And I don't know how it happened, but somehow he came into contact with Paul. He heard the gospel. He responded to the gospel. He was saved. And then he was discipled by Paul to the point where he became useful to Paul even in his imprisonment. Now, in the old days, there was a saying, and it goes something like this, put that in your pipe and smoke it. I mean, think about that for a moment, how God orchestrated all of this in spite of his sin in stealing from his master, God still works things out in such a way that he eventually comes to faith in Christ. Now, this should encourage many of you parents. Because a lot of times, Christian parents are at their wit's end trying to figure out how to help their kids come to know and love and serve Christ. Sometimes being raised in a, in a Christian home, well, not sometimes, just being raised in a Christian home is not a guarantee that you're going to become a Christian. Just because you hear the gospel or your dad's a preacher doesn't mean you're automatically in, that you're a Christian, that you're a follower of Christ. In fact, many times, children can rebel and they can run away. And I think this passage should encourage our hearts to say, you know what? You can't run from God. That, yeah, maybe, maybe in, in our home we feel ineffectual. Maybe we're not seeing the fruit of our efforts. But you don't know what God is up to and what God is doing and who God can bring into a person's life to get their attention. He can send your kids halfway around the globe and come in contact with a missionary who somehow says the same thing you've been saying for 20 years and he gets through to them. I think any spouse who has a husband or a wife who's an unbeliever ought to be encouraged by this. God is sovereign. God is in control. And God can do anything, including saving a runaway slave who thought he was running away from God and away from his master. And as you know, um, Paul eventually sends Onesimus back to Philemon which is in itself another remarkable thing. Because 
Paul understood what the penalty could be for stealing from his master, yet he sends him anyway. And he does so because he is trusting in the sovereignty of God. He is trusting in the goodness of God. He is trusting that Philemon, as a Christian, will do the right thing. The place, Paul, as you know, was writing from prison. He was in chains. He was under house arrest. And this actually gives weight to this letter. Because what he is, in a sense, saying is, is that, you know, I too am a slave, but not of Rome, of Christ. The purpose for which he writes is threefold. One, he writes to inform Philemon that he's come in contact with his runaway slave and that he's not only safe, but he's now saved. Second, he writes to explain why he's sending Onesimus back to him. And he asks Philemon to forgive him and to receive him back as a brother in Christ. And the third reason for his letter is Paul writes to Philemon because he wants him to prepare him a room for a future visit. Because Paul is hoping to be released soon. The theme of this little book is the gospel's power to transform individuals and families and relationships. It's about forgiveness and reconciliation. And this letter helps us understand how the gospel transforms and reconciles and unites all people into one family, the family of God, the church. Now, before we go any further this morning, I need to, in a sense, give you a word on slavery in the gospel. Because most of us, when we think of slavery, we think primarily of slavery as we understand it here in the United States. It is estimated that in Paul's day, nearly a third of the population were slaves. That's a lot of people. I believe it would be somewhere in the ballpark of 60 million people at that time were slaves. But slavery in the Roman Empire was different than slavery as we understood it. Slavery was not based on race or ethnicity. You could become a slave in any number of variety of ways. Early on in the Roman Empire, you became a slave primarily because you lost in war. You were taken as a prisoner of war and you became a slave. But some people became slaves because they wanted a better life. They sold themselves into slavery. Sometimes people did that to get out of debt and some slaves were actually able to acquire their freedom. But there was a particularly cruel form of post-birth control that was also a reason why some became slaves. Unwanted babies were many times left out in the elements to die. 
and many of them would be rescued. Rescued by people who would then, in turn, sell them to others who would care for them and then eventually raise them as slaves. So on one hand, it was a cruel thing to be a slave, but in some cases, it was a good thing. Far different than our understanding of slavery. Back then, slavery was an accepted norm by all people, including the slaves. The entire social order and economy was dependent upon the buying and the selling of slaves. So that is the context in which Paul writes. Now that being said, slavery was still in an abusive and degrading institution. How could Paul even think about sending Onesimus back to Philemon? That's what we would think. How can you do it? That's wrong. That's evil. How can you do that? Well, there are are a number of things that we need to understand here. First, Paul sent Onesimus back to Philemon because the Roman law demanded it. Well, that's a bad law. I agree. It was not a good law. Paul however, obeyed the law. We may not always agree with the governing authorities, but we must not be quick to rebel. Just as as an, an antidote to this, you have to take in consideration the lives of slaves and what would happen with any such revolt. In fact, we can learn from history here because we find that Spartacus, who led a slave revolt and had won many victories along the way, but eventually was defeated, what Rome did to the slaves after that was unconscionable. 6,000 men were crucified and put out for public display, display so that Other slaves would be fearful of rebelling against their masters and rebelling against Rome. The second thing we need to understand is that God often is at work in ways that we do not understand. He sees the whole picture. And he's working out his plan in his timing and in his way. In sending Onesimus back to Philemon, Paul is not just being obedient to God's commands. He's being consistent with his own teaching where he taught that Christians should submit to the governing authorities. He is actually trusting God to work in this situation even though it's difficult to do. He is trusting that God is going to bring about reconciliation between Onesimus and Philemon. And the question that we need to ask ourselves is, are we as willing to trust God in these kinds of situations when obeying him seems difficult to do? Paul did not speak against slavery. But you know what? Neither did Jesus. No one seems to bring that up. 
They're quick to lay it at the feet of Paul. But then they realize they don't, I mean, they don't realize that Jesus didn't do it either. In fact, Jesus made it clear that my kingdom, he said, is not of this earth. He didn't come to overthrow the Roman government and the social structures that existed. He came to save sinners. He came to change our hearts to give us a new nature. He came to save us from ourselves. Jesus even said things like this, and I don't know if you've thought about it. The poor you will have with you always. But didn't Jesus care about the poor? Why would he say they're going to be with you always? It's because we live in a fallen world. Jesus is just stating a fact that as long as we live in a fallen world, there is going to be social injustice. There will be poor. There will be the homeless. There will be the hungry, the oppressed, the marginalized, and the persecuted. He knows that true societal change happens one heart at a time. And that's what Jesus came to do, to give us a new heart, a new spirit, to change us from the inside out. And then as we live our lives for the glory of God and the good of others, we begin to see our culture change, our society change, our world change. Paul knew that slavery was wrong. And that's why he encouraged masters to treat their slaves well. He even told slaves that, hey, if you have an opportunity to gain your freedom, do it. But Paul wasn't trying to overthrow the Roman government. He knew that the best way to effect change was not through revolution, but it was through changing the human heart. Paul did not directly assail the institution of slavery. He let the gospel do it. And what is interesting is if you're a student of history, what you find is in the coming years and decades and centuries, the gospel, as it was fleshed out in the church, eventually brought an end to slavery in the Roman Empire. I like what Alistair Begg said. He said, what cannot be achieved in a fallen world is to be discovered and displayed in the church. How true is that? The world is powerless to bring up. I mean, just look at what's happening in Afghanistan. The world is absolutely powerless to do anything to bring about peace and harmony and love for one another. But the gospel, the gospel can change a life. It can change a family. It can change society if we will submit to it. Paul's letter to Philemon is a timeless testimony of how God transforms lives, families, and cultures. I mean, think about it. Only the gospel could take a, a Pharisee, 
a Jewish, Jewish zealot, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and a rich Gentile slave owner, and a dreg of society, a slave, and bring them all together in one family, the church. You see, folks, this is the solution to the cultural and racial divide that we are experiencing today in 2021. It's Jesus. It's the hope of the gospel. The gospel alone has the power to transform, reconcile, and unite all people into one family, the church. All right, are you ready? Let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, open up to Philemon chapter one. You won't be confused because that's the only chapter there is. Chapter one, we're gonna be reading today through uh, verse eight and a half, so. All right, verse one. Oops, or it was already there. Sorry, I hope I didn't mess it up. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Apphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice how Paul introduces himself here. He doesn't introduce himself in the way that he does most often in his writings, where he would say, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, or Paul, an apostle by the will of God. Here, he refers to himself as a prisoner for Christ Jesus. And I think he does this intentionally. He is not going to appeal to Philemon on the basis of his apostolic authority, but as a fellow worker, as a prisoner of Christ, as someone, as someone who understands a little bit of what has been going on in Philemon's life and in his household. Now, this is a personal letter written primarily to Philemon whom Paul describes here as a beloved fellow worker. Now, I say primarily because Paul addresses this letter to Philemon, to Apphia, to Archippus, and the entire church that meets in his home. Do you see that? This indicates, then, that the letter would actually have been read in the hearing of the entire church. Um thereby giving greater weight to it. I mean, if you can imagine you're Philemon, you're sitting there in the service and you're hearing Paul tell you these things in the hearing of other people, you're gonna probably take what he says to heart. We're gonna see that the grammar of the text also alludes to this, but Apphia is believed was Philemon's wife. We don't know for sure, but we think that she was his wife. Archippus uh, may have, in fact, been their son. And he is referred to here as our fellow soldier. So it kind of speaks to some sort of official 
uh, position that he might have had or ministry. Paul actually mentions him in chapter 4 in Colossians. In chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, Paul writes, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea, and say to Archippus, that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. So Archippus may have had a significant ministry here in Colossae or perhaps in Laodicea. He may have served there as one of the pastors or elders there. Look at verse 3. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I said earlier that the grammar kind of supports the idea that this letter would be read to the entire church, and here is another reason, because the you in verse three is a second person pronoun, but it's in the plural form. So if you were down south, it might read something like, grace to y'all, okay? Something like that. How'd I do, Sandy? Was that okay? Not good? All right. Um, but you get the idea. And Paul returns to the plural form of this word uh, back down near the end of the chapter in verses 22 and 25. And everything in between is really focused to Philemon. When he uses the word you or your, it's singular. But initially, he's addressing the entire church. So let's go on and read verse 4. I thank my God when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother." because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul follows his greeting with thanksgiving and prayer. And he tells Philemon that he always thanks God for him in his prayers. I mean, can you imagine how Philemon must have felt? You're, you're sitting in a worship service and everybody around you is hearing this letter being read and you read the Apostle Paul say, I always thank God for you, my brother, when I remember you in my prayers. I mean, I don't know exactly what Philemon would have thought. If I was Philemon, I wouldn't have, fellas, gals, did you hear that? Paul's praying for me. He's thankful for me. I mean, that, I mean, that would build you up. I'm being publicly praised and recognized here in the assembly but what does Paul thank, why does Paul thank God when he remembers him? Well, it says because he heard of his faith and his love for all the saints. Now, this is kind of an odd construction, uh, but I think that the New International Version, the NIV 84, um, gives a good sense of this. It reads, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love 
for all the saints. Now, the CSV, uh, the Christian Standard Bible, does the same thing, but it kind of reverses the order. That's why I say it's kind of a weird construction. He says, because I hear of your love for all of the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. Verse 6 is not easy to understand. And the ESV and some other translations translate the Greek word koinonia as the sharing of your faith. Sharing being the, the key word, but the sharing of your faith. If you see that there, that I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective as in evangelism. That you're, you're witnessing, that your evangelism will become effective. But koinonia is a rich word and it has a lot of different meanings. Um, mainly translated fellowship, but it can also mean sharing, generosity, contribution, participation, among other things. I don't believe Paul was referring to Philemon's personal evangelism here. It, it just doesn't seem to fit the context. Rather, I think Paul was referring to his mutual participation in the faith. And again, this, the CSB, I think, does a good job of translating this. It, it says that I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. I really like the New English Bible. I don't use it very often, but the New English Bible says, my prayer is that your fellowship with us in our common faith may deepen the understanding of all the blessings that our union with Christ brings. I think what Paul is doing here is he's laying a foundation for the request that he is about to make. He is appealing to Philemon on the basis of their common faith in Christ. He wants Philemon's faith to be effective or productive specifically in the case of Onesimus. So in essence, I think what Paul is praying is that Philemon's generosity, his participation or fellowship in this common faith might lead him to do the very thing that Paul is about to ask him to do. And in so doing, Philemon would gain an even deeper understanding and appreciation of all the blessings that belong to him in Christ. In verse 7, Paul tells Philemon that he's greatly encouraged by Philemon's ministry or service in the church. Paul gained much joy and comfort from his love, that is, the love that he had for all the saints, as evidenced by Philemon giving rest and refreshment to the saints. The New Century Version translates verse 7 this way, I have great joy and comfort, my brother, because the love you have shown to God's people has refreshed them. So Paul is very appreciative. His heart is with the Colossians and to see his brother in the faith, his fellow co-worker 
serving selflessly, giving of himself, opening up his home, refreshing the hearts of the saints, refreshed Paul's heart and encouraged him. Paul is not flattering Philemon, but he is setting him up for a big ask. After lavishing so much praise on him, it would be difficult for Philemon to say no to whatever Paul would ask of him. And we're not even there yet. So let me give you a preview of coming attractions. Verse 8. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. And we're going to stop there. I'm not going to read the rest of verse 9. We'll pick that up next week. But at last, we come to it. The reason for Paul's correspondence, Paul wants Philemon to do something. In fact, he wants him to do the right thing, to do what is required, as Paul says. But rather than commanding him to do it, he wants him to do it because it's the right thing to do. So he appeals to him on the basis of love. And it's unclear what Paul is really referring to here. Is it Paul's love for Philemon? Philemon's love for Paul? Is it their mutual love for one another? Perhaps it is on the basis of Philemon's love for the Colossians. Not exactly sure, but in in any event, Paul wants him to willingly and freely do what is right and fitting in the Lord. Next week, we will unpack the rest of this amazing letter. I want my kids to own their faith. I want them to make wise decisions and to do what is right, not because I said so, because they understand that it's the right thing to do and it's in their best interest to do. In the same way, the elders of New Life want this for you. The reason why we spend so much time teaching and preaching and counseling and sometimes rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness and all of that is is not because we want puppets to do what we want you to do. It's because we want you to grow in Christ to become mature, to stand on your own two feet, to make wise decisions, and to do the right thing because it's the right thing, to honor Christ, to do good to one another. That's what Paul wants here. So I think as we go from this place, look forward to next week, what I want you to keep in mind is that the gospel has the power to transform lives reconcile relationships, and unite all people into one body, the church. One family, God's church. If our world is gonna change for the better, gang, it's got to start with us. Because the world is devoid of the spirit of God. It knows nothing of the grace of God. We carry this treasure in jars of clay, 
And God expects us to let our light shine. And through us, the world can change. That's why I agree with Alistair Begg. What cannot be achieved in a fallen world is to be discovered and displayed in the church. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this morning. Thank you for your your mercy and your grace and for this amazing little book that we have. Lord, it is so rich. Lord, we could plumb the depths of this for weeks on end and and not reach the, the bottom of all the wealth that is in it. But Lord, I pray that this week we would take time to read it, to read it over and over and to ask you to speak to our hearts, to prepare us for next week. And Lord, I pray that where there are relationships that are in turmoil or in disarray, where there is conflict, Lord, would you reveal to us the power of the gospel to reconcile relationships, to transform lives, and even our culture. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.